It's not just the one place. <laughs> I have pain here. In my famous ass. It's not that bad, is it? Well, you can hear them, and you can you can see them a little bit. I mean, you know, fortunately, you know, you, you learn to play the ball. But I'm not going to say it was a, a total distraction, but it is a little annoying, maybe. No, I shouldn't have to change for any other circumstances. I like my hair. It's just things flying in the air that you're not supposed to be seeing. It's not that bad, is it? Hi, everybody. Welcome back to The Body Serve. I'm James. I'm Jonathan. And uh, this is episode 70. We haven't met for about 10 days now. And in February, tennis is totally packed. I feel like we're so behind on the tournaments that went on. Uh, we haven't spoken since the Grammys, which mm-hmm. was an unqualified disaster. And what else? Uncle Tony decided to call it quits on his partnership with Rafa at the end of this year. Roger Federer is playing for three more years, at least at the Swiss Indoors. Uh, There's so much to talk about. Where do you want to start? Well, Roger was first on your list. For another reason, actually. Only because with a little bit of distance from the Australian Open, I started to feel that him winning it was all the more impressive than living through it in the moment, if that makes sense. Yeah, I think there was so much hype about that final, about the possibility of it happening. Some of us, it was it was easy to lose sight of how unlikely the whole situation was and what an incredible performance it was by both players, but by 35-year-old Roger Federer to come back from a long layoff. And I think a lot of his fans would have been happy with a good semifinal showing, and there he is winning the title. Taking the trophy to the Swiss Alps. Every day it seems there, there he's just somewhere else, just parading the trophy around. Did you hear he named it? No, what did he name it? Norman. Mm. I I don't know why. I did not know that. You have to be careful how you say Uncle Tony quits the Nadal camp or calls it quits. Like he's abandoning Rafa because <laughs> that might incite some folks. No, no. Um. Well, he announced that after this season, he will no longer be traveling with Rafa, right? Now, does that mean he is no longer on the coaching staff? That's not what it sounded like to me. No, he said that he's going to be working out of the academy in Mallorca, and that if there are weeks that Carlos or other members of his coaching staff, like Francisco Roy, can't travel with Rafa, then he will fill in. He's still going to be part of the the setup, but more from a a home-based kind of situation with the academy. But he's definitely taking a step back. Okay. I feel like it's a good thing for Rafa at this point. So he... He said it was for family, personal reasons that he's decided to to leave? Yeah, he said that had it been any regular, normal person he was coaching and not his nephew, he'd have come to this decision a long time ago. He's older, he's tired of the, the grind of the tour, of the traveling, and he wants to spend more time with family. And, and having the opportunity to be based from home in Mallorca with the academy, it just felt like the right thing for him to do at this time, of course. Right. Being Tony, he went about it the wrong way. <laughs> Which was what? The rollout of, of his transition, so to speak, was not very smooth. Put it that way. Right. And, of course, the headlines are a little bit misleading. The headlines were just a bit salacious, right? Like, the the before you get the official sit-down interview properly translated into English, you're getting all these 
people speculating as to if there's some drama, if Tony is upset that Moye is now taking a more assertive role within the coaching team and he feels like his toes are being stepped on, that kind of deal. And that this is him storming off in a huff. <laughs> when come to find out a couple days later when everything is is uh, revealed in due course that that's not really what what what's happened according to tony right and he's not leaving at this moment no he's, he's still going to be with the team throughout the end of the year and this is effective next year and his kids are much younger than rafa i imagine he'd like to be close to home with them another bit of news from or stemming from the Australian Open was this whole Doug Adler bullshit, which is still continuing. Oh my god, this will not go away. So, Doug Adler, the ESPN commentator who was fired for that unfortunate turn of phrase while commentating a Venus Williams match, the whole gorilla, gorilla stance, was that it? He tried to make it seem like he meant gorilla effect. When everybody else, who is not a Trump supporter, <laughs> took it to mean he was comparing Venus to a gorilla. Right. So, we are obviously the social justice warriors who are calling someone racist, which is, to racists, like the worst possible thing in the entire world. It's so simple. If you don't want to be called racist, don't do and say racist shit. It's right. such a simple equation. And so... Now he's doing the full Sharapova. He has gone off. He's totally like cracking up on Twitter. And I think he joined Twitter only for this incident, unless he changed his account, because he's been on Twitter for one month and he only has about a hundred tweets. And most of them are retweets or people praising or him as being this great martyr victim slash person who's had the greatest injustice levied against him right and pay close attention to the people he is retweeting and seeking support from one of those people is sheriff whatever the fuck his name is sheriff clark that trump supporter that black sheriff who's a trump supporter he's collecting endorsements from various lunatics and alt-right heroes and it's just um very it's not the way you go about making the point if this is what he's trying to do, that you've been wrongfully fired. Like, these are not the optics that you want to be creating to support your argument. Right. And, I mean, the language of the suit was very combative, and he's chosen to echo that language on Twitter publicly. He's obviously trying to drum up a sort of swell of support among media commentators, alt-right heroes, Trump supporters, these people... <laughs> And he's also using the language of tennis journalism. For example, people using the word, the phrase gorilla effect in the past to justify what he said on air and to argue that this is a common turn of phrase in sports journalism. And he's also taking the opportunity to bite back at Ben Rothenberg, <laughs> who he believes has tried to destroy his career and discredit him as a person. I remember seeing Ben tweet about something pertaining to this months ago. Well, I guess it couldn't have been months ago because this happened in January, but say last month saying, you know, this is, this has nothing to do with me trying to take down somebody's career. And at the time, I didn't really know the full hundred as to what was going on specific to the two of them having interactions on Twitter. 
And come to find out that a big part of Doug Adler's argument is that Ben Rothenberg has specifically targeted him or is using him as a means of shedding his own negative past when it comes to Serena in particular and that body image issue. <laughs> yeah. Um, I, I can't pretend like I didn't think that that didn't cross my mind, to be honest, uh, because he went pretty hard about this issue. The thing about it is that nothing about what Ben said was objectionable. It was right. totally on point and exactly in keeping what we think about the situation. Uh, but the argument that Doug Adler is making, or not making as well as he could be, is this whole business of people in glass houses, right? Right. And so the whole thing just seems a little bit cute to me because no one actually has the right to be employed by ESPN. And if an employer wants to fire you... They can, as long as they pay you your proper severance or whatever, uh, according to your contract or the law. So unless he can argue that he's being defamed or this is discriminatory, like, what can he really do? He's arguing that essentially tennis Twitter <laughs> mm-hmm. and Twitter pressured ESPN into making a decision that they themselves didn't believe to be correct. Right. But is he naming tennis Twitter in the suit as well as defendants? As as led by and ruled by King Ben Rothenberg, apparently. Right. (laughs) I mean, I... It's tenuous at best. As a lot of people pointed out with the whole business of did he mean to say gorilla effect or liken Venus to a gorilla... At the point in which he was commentating, Venus was facing a second serve, and so she was in a very aggressive position, and she did attack that second serve. And if we're talking about gorilla effect, that's something that's a sneak attack. There was nothing sneak attack about what Venus would be doing on that second serve. Hell, Venus sometimes is well within the baseline on first serves. (laughs) Yes. And so it's either he is incredibly stupid and doesn't understand what the term gorilla effect means and misused it, or he thinks we're stupid and not being able to see what's at play here. And really all that needed to be done for this to go away was, you know, do what every other white person has done throughout time. Like, gosh, I just didn't know. Like my latent <laughs> right. racism that I say stupid things all the time and don't quite get how it's connected That was what was at play, and I apologize. Now I know, I'll move on. And it was fairly innocuous compared to his response. Isn't it always that way? Yes, he was fired. Okay. (laughs) But I don't think anybody would have batted an eye if he went and got hired by some other tennis outlet and he's back on the air. Nobody would be protesting that he's back. You know, like this is this is just the way it is. In we just assume that there's some fucker around the corner from these people. Right. I mean, the thing is that no one is taking away his right to work. No. However, tennis is a small sport. If it were a big sport like football, there's probably some right-wing lunatic fringe media outlet that would hire him. But in tennis, it's so small and so incestuous, maybe there aren't that many outlets that would hire him after this. I mean, look how many people came to bat for Raymond Moore. Like, they're everywhere within tennis true right and now i hear that tommy haas has some questionable political 
uh, affiliations. Is that does that uh, come as a surprise? No, but like I would gladly throw him away if that if that comes out to be true. His father-in-law David Foster does. Now getting back to Ben, I think regardless of whether or not Doug Adler wants to say that this was malicious or intentional, the point remains that what Ben said actually had merit. And listen, it's very, very hard to prove defamation in a court of law. Like, you have to prove A, that it was a lie, and B, that there was malice behind it. And so what I think Adler is doing is making himself unemployable. Companies don't want to hire litigious people, whether they're justified or not. If he he had just let this go away, and people... Because really and truly, the majority of people would forget his name within a couple months. And he'd come back as Doug Adler for ABC Sports. And people are like, oh, this this guy's not too bad. And have no recollection Mm -hmm. of who he was. Yes, because the majority of tennis fans are not diehard tennis Twitter people. And instead, what we have is this nonsensical, crazy campaign that he's that he's uh, waging on social media <laughs> and with this lawsuit. It's just, it's right out of the right-wing playbook. It's the idea that there is nothing worse on the planet than to be called a racist. Well, this is a time and place for him to do it then, because... It sure is. That's and the political climate he's we're appealing in. to the correct people. So we move from the Doug Adler business to this Fed Cup fiasco, where... The United States and Germany are playing a tie in Hawaii. And before the first match, the U.S. team, or the USTA, who is responsible for the playing of the national anthems, trots out this guy to sing a live rendition of a version of the German anthem that's from the Nazi era, that's no longer used, that's very offensive, and it was such a complete and total embarrassment. Uh, I mean, (laughs) when I first heard about it, it was bad. And then when I realized that it was live, sung by someone who was actually present, singing in German. So he had to learn the German for the first verse, which is the objectionable. The first and second verses of the German National Anthem are not performed anymore. They're considered offensive. They were used, the first stanza was used by Hitler's Germany. So... A total disaster. Do you know how I found that out? Wikipedia. (laughs) It's that easy. Type in German National Anthem and Wikipedia is the first hit. Read all about it. Did you know that Haydn composed the music? It's beautiful music. And it'll take you through the history of the anthem and why it's problematic. So it was a total disaster. And it was inexcusable. And the USTA apologized immediately because how could you not? What was the phrase that Petkovic used to describe it? I She said that it was the most insulting thing that had ever happened to her in tennis. Petkovic referred to it as the epitome of ignorance. Yes. Which was very succinct and appropriate. She also said that it was the most insulted she's ever been in tennis. And she mentioned that her compatriot Yulia Gurgis actually started crying when she heard it. Because I imagine that Germans immediately know the words to that verboten stanza that's no longer used. Germany has gone to great lengths in a fairly short period of time to re-emerge from their Nazi past, right? Right. 
Uh, but we do know that in this era, when the West is becoming vulnerable to fascism, that we look to Germany as this bastion of justice, of progressive values. So in this climate for an American sports organization to be so brazenly negligent is just incredible. Yet fitting. It's very Trumpian. Right? Like a lot of uh, a lot of us have tried to do a lot to shed this ugly American stereotype. When I tell people I'm from the US now, I'm fairly embarrassed because A, I don't really want to talk about the political situation in my country, and B, well, it's embarrassing. Right. <laughs> it's easier just to say I'm Canadian. But and the, the ugly American stereotype existed long before this era, or even like 2000, when Bush came into politics, right? became president, right? Mm-hmm. And it's even more of a situation now with a Trump situation. as president. <laughs> but also, because we have this, this group of American players who are so proud and celebratory of their own ignorance, right? You have Harrison, there's Vandeweghe, there's Isner... Isner and Harrison in particular hold some fairly extreme views, in my opinion, and are pretty uh, in the tank for Trump and what he represents. If you are so inclined and uh, lean politically the way we do, and you're interested in this topic, follow Bad Toss on Twitter because she's been doing this regular segment, this regular Twitter segment now, where she posts the things that John Isner has liked on Twitter today. It's equal parts hilarious and depressing. (laughs) I saw, though, she tweeted something about how apparently John has stopped liking things. Really? Yeah. I'm sure he's caught wind to what's going on. (laughs) And I'm I'm also sure it'll be construed as some sort of left-wing attack on free speech, as usual. Mm -hmm. So we can move move past this segment of fuckery onto the actual tennis events? Yeah. Because, you know, we have some people in Australia, particularly, who just don't like our politics. Mm-hmm. So we... It's true. They just want us to shut up and sing. They neither like the bitchiness nor the politics. <laughs> Which, I mean, thank you. And also, maybe this just isn't for you. But also, we have timestamps. You can skip past all the stuff you don't like. Right. I mean, if you're willing to suffer through our bitchiness in politics for the tennis, thank you. Mm-hmm. Also, I don't understand you. (laughs) Anyway, there are somehow two weeks of tournament results to go through since we last spoke. There are like 17 tournaments every week now. (laughs) Right. In Sofia, Dimitrov won his home tournament. He beat Goffin in the final. Zverev, he won Montpellier. He beat Songa in the semifinal before beating Gasquet in the final, who himself was trying to become a three-peater, a three-times-in-a-row champ. Mm Mm-hmm. But the person that week who was able to achieve that feat was Victor Estrella Burgos, who did so in Quito, in Ecuador. Three years in a row, he's won that tournament. And he is holding it down for Dominican Republic. He is very proud to be from the DR, and he's such a great representative for his country. The thing with with Sasha Zverev, it just seems like Zverev is building a career quickly and impressively. He's taking out two former top 10 players in Song and Gasquet who are playing at home in France. This is just 
another thing to put on the resume for him. Like, he is really on the up and up. Even though he lost early recently in Marseille to Nicola Mahou in two tie breaks, and I mean, if anyone deserves to win all the tie breaks ever, it's Nicolas Mahou, right? <laughs> After suffering against John Isner at that Wimbledon match. It's also not uncommon to win on Sunday and lose on Tuesday. This is true. This is tour life. We just saw Nishikori right before we came to air. He's playing in Rio. He made the final last week in Buenos Aires. We'll get to that later on. Mm. And uh, he ends up losing his first match to Tomas Bellucci. Not something you'd expect necessarily, but there you have it. No. When we say last week, we're probably talking about almost two weeks ago at this point. So those three tournaments preceded the ones we're going to talk about, which are already completed as well. And uh, those were Rotterdam, Doha, and Buenos Aires. So Goffin makes the final, and finally, finally, is a top 10 player. This is something we've been talking about and and monitoring for a while on the podcast. Mm -hmm. And one of the more recent chances that he had to achieve it was at the Australian Open. He had already lost. But lo and behold, had Roger Federer not won the tournament, he would have been a top 10 player. And look, (laughs) at that point, I would be thinking to myself, I guess it's just never going to happen. Right. And can this guy catch a break, though? He finally breaks the top 10 and then loses in the final to Songa. I mean, what's I mean, what what do you mean catch a break? Well, I mean, you either beat them or you don't. I'm sure he would have been happy to win the title as well. Sure. (laughs) (laughs) I'm just saying he seems like someone who just can't have it all. Okay. But I can say that I'm really upset about it because my boo Joe Songa finally won a tournament. Frojo, as I saw (laughs) so hilariously referred to on Twitter. Referencing, obviously, Flojo, that's the original, you know. Mm -hmm. As if she would ever leave the house with her hair looking like that. Oh, my God. Pliskova wins in Doha. Another win on the year for Pliskova. Like, her star is... Well, she also then went on to lose in Dubai. Yep. Good point. She lost to Mladenovic, who is also having a wonderful start to her season. The St. Petersburg champ. But Pliskova is... I originally wrote 15-1. and Now she's 15-2 and on the season. She is... Number three in the world. Mm-hmm. And man, like if things fall correctly, she could actually rise in the rankings from there. Like she, her, well, her only loss other than Mladenovic was to Lucic Baroni in the quarterfinals at the Australian Open. And like you said, her star is rising. Like where can it stop Lupliskova? And in that final in Doha, she beat Caroline Wozniacki, who herself is resurgent. And she has a new hitting partner. Do you want to tell us who it is? <laughs> yeah. Uh, you may know him as Big Sasha. Sasha Bayin. Of course, he was Serena's muse for a long time. Her hitting partner until he decided to part ways. He joined up with Azarenka and has since basically been out of a job because she had a baby. She's been out for a long time. And now he's joined Azarenka's friend Wozniacki. Which is a really different look for him, a different style of player. And you have to wonder, did she pick Sasha because he's so experienced with huge hitters in Serena and Azarenka? 
I think she picked him because if she needed somebody, she has a really good friend on tour who would be able to give her a reference. Right. And uh, she did say that she spoke with Serena before hiring him, you know, just to make sure it's okay with the BFF. Muguruza is out of Dubai with an injured Achilles. Her season has, uh, I mean, she's just not been able to catch a break with injuries lately. Yeah, she's not having the start to the season that she had hoped for. Because she came into the Australian swing saying, you know, I feel great. I think my game is in a really good place. And I w- I'm ready to get back to winning. And then this is not ideal for her. Since winning the French Open, it feels as though so much has gone wrong for her that that triumph feels like it was even two years ago mm-hmm. when it was just last year. Right. It's not even 12 months. And if she's not able to get the injuries in check and get the results back up to par and then defend most of her points at Roland Garros, like she could take a pretty big tumble down the rankings. Mm-hmm. And now we're in a situation where Kerber has a chance to gain number one. This week this in Dubai. This week in Dubai. As you said... The number one ranking could bounce back and forth several times this year. I did say that, but many, many, many other people did say that as well. Yes, but I'm, you know, giving credit where it's due. And she actually has a chance, if she wins Dubai, to tie and surpass Tracy Austin and Maria Sharapova's weeks at number one. It's like, ain't that a bitch. I don't give a fuck about weeks at number one <laughs> because Venus only has something like seven, and that seems like no, the greatest travesty. It's like thir- Thirteen, isn't it? Seven, eleven, something like something ridiculous and unnecessary and petty is what <laughs> Venus is at number one because right. that's just not right. Because it actually is one of the lowest, mm-hmm. and it doesn't it just doesn't feel right at all. Kanishikori bypassed a chance to have a five peat to get his fifth guitar in Memphis <laughs> to travel all the way down to Buenos Aires to make the final and then lose to Alexander Dolgopolov in the final, which was his sixth consecutive loss in an ATP Tour final. Mm. But that's not all. In his absence in Memphis, a certain Alt Harrison <laughs> made it all the way to the final and won his first ATP Tour title. Thanks, Kay. This is one of those decisions that like, you look back on in your life and you're like, Jesus, what the hell was I thinking? Why didn't I just go to Memphis again? He instead decided to go to South America. He loves playing on clay. And man, this is just not working out for him at all. No, and unfortunately, Harrison has been playing well for a while now. He's traveled the globe, entered pretty much every qualifying event that he can. And made a few main draws and won a couple of rounds and his ranking had gotten all the way back up into the top 50 and now he's up to number 43 matching his career high. So this wasn't totally out of nowhere, but it's still equally depressing for us. Mm-hmm. And I wonder how Kay feels like he has unwittingly enabled the triumph of evil. Kay does not give a fuck <laughs> about that. No, he certainly does not. We do. I mean, he did. He probably cares about losing to that disgusting pervert Dolgopolov. I don't think he cares about that either. This is the problem (laughs) with men. They they turn a blind eye to all manner of fucker from their fellow man. You're like they just don't care. They're like, "Yo, bro, what's up? Hey, man." But he would just have to listen to us. 
and, and we could no, tell him. We are left-wing lunatics who right. <laughs> make a mountain out of every molehill. Yeah. So Brian Baker, remember him? Mm-hmm. He's back from outer space and from injury and from all types of tribulation. And he won the doubles title in Memphis with Mekdich. And they beat Harrison and Johnson in the final. So, man, like, he clearly loves to play tennis. He's not done. He has dedication that we can all admire. And in a similar vein, we saw in the last week or two, definitely since our last episode, photos of Kimiko Date back on court. Right. Comeback number how many? At age 40, what, seven at this point or something? (laughs) She is further along into her second career than she had a first career. Really? Yeah. She came back in 2008, so it's been nine years or something. And she retired in 97, I want to say. Okay. Which would have been like eight years. Oh, my God. So, Venus, I mean, you got like a good 10, 11 years left? It's possible. Do you want to tell us about how you are re-enamored with Jeannie Bouchard? Am I, though? You are. You've been saying so many nice <laughs> things about Jeannie how Bouchard How can I be lately. re-enamored if I was never enamored? You were. You liked Jeannie at one point. What? Yeah, before she started winning, you liked Jeannie. No, I did That's you, such a lie. No, that's not true. Before she was on Pinties, before she was winning and making semifinals, you didn't have any objections to Jeannie Bouchard. You're like, that, that's a cute story. You're um, like, oh, go Canada. I feel like that is a vicious lie. Go back to the very first episodes of the podcast. Really? Yeah, probably. Okay. Probably. Probably. (laughs) Anyway, Jeannie followed through on her promise to take her Super Bowl date out. And so this kid is like 20, 21, Mm -hmm. I guess. Jeannie is also very young. She's only 22, but that just seems like very, very young. So she, I guess, flew this guy out from Missouri or whatever and they went to a Nets game. Missouri? M- Mizzou. And she wore um, like a little like black tank top thing, crop top, and these black leggings with this gigantic Aretha Franklin fur on top, which I have to say I respected. Whether or not the fur was real. I hope it was fake. Whether or not? No, I mean, I hope it was fake. <laughs> but... It was uh, an odd choice to wear to a basketball game, but she is clearly milking this public relations moment for all it's worth. She was Snapchatting the whole thing. It's on Instagram. Do you think she agreed to really do it in earnest when she found out what the dude actually looked like? (laughs) Because if this were some 40-year-old, 280-pound, basement-dwelling troll, Mm -hmm. would she really be posing up in pictures... Because this is this is about PR. This is about picture taking, right? Right. Like, would she really be doing that? Well, like, like I suppose the... it would either be like a really good looking dude or a really hideous dude would get equal amounts of <laughs> press. He's right? he's cute. Like the kid is cute. He's photogenic, right? Yeah. Yeah. He looks like a regular okay to good looking white dude. Yeah, like a like a college dude. Yeah. Now I'm going to deflate this a little bit because apparently she's actually dating someone. <laughs> So she's dating an NHL player from Quebec. I forgot his name. Did people really expect that this could possibly turn into some whirlwind romance? No, no. But I think her dedication to the whole charade had people uh, side-eyeing a little bit. Because she was 
This whole business about, oh, my my date bought me this gift, these Tiffany jewelry things, and <laughs> look at us, and blah, blah, blah. Like, girl, you know your management company did that, so you could post it and on And she Twitter. didn't pay for nothing. None of that came out of her bank account. No. Like, the Brooklyn Nets, let me tell you, they need some publicity. Like, they, <laughs> very, they may very well have paid for the whole thing. When they heard that, you know, Jeannie needs to go on a date, they could have been like, we will take care of it all really yeah they know who she is they're the nets are pathetic oh that's too bad like if you're going to a game why not pick a next game i mean i guess that it's time sensitive she has a very busy schedule maybe the the nets were the only well, ones in yeah. town possibly and also i don't know the nets like aren't they still cool do no they have, like the, they're not do they have like the jay-z factor they're and, not they're not and cool. the new stadium they and, are or not the new cool. mm. and they saw roberto bautista agu again using social media to support LGBT people, this time in sport, as part of the Stop Homophobia campaign. And let me tell you, he is the lone voice on the men's tour who is doing this sort of thing. And it is such, it it is so appreciated. Yes, and we are going to continue talking about him Mm -hmm. because he is the only one out there. He's also a top 15 player. He's no chump. Like... A lot of people don't give him his due because of the 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 Spanish players. He is like may, he's not even close to being top of the list in terms of hotness, right? <laughs> I think that's one of his biggest downfalls. Okay, or like star power, or yeah. like big personality, yeah. right? Like you have Rafa, you have Feliciano, you have Ferrer, who's good looking. You have, pretty much all the male Spanish players are out of a telenovela, right? Mm-hmm. And Roberto, he's he's not a troll, but he's he just he doesn't give that sex <laughs> the way the others do, and so I feel like in keeping with this this uh, idea of him as somewhat of a journeyman, which is quite a disservice given how he's able to build his career to where it is now. That's why he doesn't get as much attention as some of the other players. Mm-hmm. Right? He doesn't have the flair and the pizzazz and the the panache of some of these other players. Right. But we want you to know, Roberto, that we see you, we notice you, and we appreciate you. And as you said, we will continue to talk about you on this podcast because what you do is needed. And listen, we are still at a place where representation matters, where little kids see people supporting LGBT issues publicly, and that matters to them. How many people do you know who were sort of empowered to come out or speak to their family because Will and Grace was on TV or Boy George existed or everybody loved Elton John or, or, you know, like or these, Danny from Real World. Right. Like these sound like very silly, simple things now because our landscape has changed so much. But that was very important for people. And there a lot of kids don't a lot of gay kids don't get into sport because they don't see those those people who are who are welcoming who are making it known to them that it's it's okay Mm -hmm. and so when i mean i mean tennis is a pretty gay sport right so like right but but structurally and institutionally i don't think he has a whole lot to gain from doing this no i'm not that's not my point i'm talking about young kids like it's a it's one of the more non-threatening sports for a young gay kid to get into but Mm -hmm. still having it being being talked about at the top level of tennis is still something that can only be a benefit to young kids. Yes. And 
you say tennis is a gay sport. It, you know, attracts a lot of gay fans, and I'm sure youth players, maybe. And in the same way, figure skating, men's figure skating especially, has this stereotype of being gay, right, or effeminate. But there is certainly a culture of jockish homophobia in figure mm-hmm. skating, and there is one in tennis as yeah, well. Yeah, because there are those who will be fighting against that, because... Right. To this day, it is still seen, especially within sporting circles, as a very bad thing and a big strike against your masculinity mm. to be lumped in with gayness. And so if, if tennis is seen as a, you know, a gay friendly or a very gay sport, they're going to be by default a lot of men who will push back against that. Right. Same as you said with figure skating. Mm. So Roberto will be wearing his rainbow shoelaces in Dubai. They look very cute, actually. And uh, we just have to say, we you have made fans of us, Roberto, so we are supporting you. Kudos to him. Tell us about Mary Pierce, quickly. <laughs> Mary Pierce. She tweeted on President's Day, Happy President's Day at Donald Trump. Make America great again. I mean, and I think- everybody was saying, Mary, is this a joke? Are you kidding? Are you being sarcastic, I hope? You have noted here, fucking mental. (laughs) Yeah, she's mental. Um, I mean, she is born again, and she is loving the Lord. And we know how the religious right loves Donald Trump, so mm -hmm, in a sense it doesn't surprise me, but it's also... Well, there goes another one. (laughs) (laughs) I wonder if her and Margaret Court discussed this before she came out publicly as a Trump supporter. Make America great again. Make Mary Pierce Canadian again. (laughs) (laughs) Two last bits to end the episode. We're going to talk about Beyonce and the Grammys. And then we're going to talk about Please Like Me, which is a queer Australian sitcom, which we watched all 30 episodes of and just fell in love with. So first, the bad news. We watched the Grammys, we watched the whole thing, which was probably a mistake, and I knew it was going to upset me deeply in my soul. I was preparing for Beyonce to lose all the major awards. If you had your way, we would have watched the whole thing. I enlisted the help of friends to let us know when stuff that we wanted to see was coming on, so we could then cut from the shows that we were watching, which was probably Please Like Me, to go back and watch it. Because if you had forced me to miss... A night's worth of TV watching for this bullshit. I would have been so mad. <laughs> we paused to watch the George Michael tribute. That was a mistake. Uh, I don't want to rag on Adele because I like her. I think she seems like a lovely person. But that's two botched performances in two years. Botched is a bit much. I didn't say botched by whom. So then you're being doubly <laughs> shady because you're making it seem like no. she botched it. I think you're being really bitter right now. No, there was, there were terrible uh, technical issues in her performance last year, and I'm not going to blame her for that. This one was a hideous arrangement of the song. It was difficult her, for her to find her key, but like, did you rehearse? I just, I've never, I've never seen anything like that on TV. Have you ever seen a superstar on a live TV show say, "Stop! I need to start over." Don't, don't. What we just lived through Mariah years Eve. Like. Yeah, and guess what? Everybody is out here defending Adele. They don't give a fuck about Mariah. Like, Mariah's a joke. She's washed up. What a loser. 
But Adele stops a performance on the Grammys, starts over, and cool. Wow, she's such an amazing person. You know, whatever. I like Adele. She's not as talented as Beyonce. End of story. I'm so pressed and so bitter about Beyonce losing Album of the Year, even though I knew she would, but in 10, 20 years, we're going to look back at Lemonade as a cultural touchstone, as an absolute landmark, something that changed the way that we consume popular music. It's a it's a matter of life that black women and women of color do not get the recognition and do that they deserve. And you may say that, but to this day, Butterfly by Mariah is still very much a niche record. There are industry insiders who will consider it, rightfully so, as one of the the touchstone albums in R&B of history. Mm-hmm. But there's no guarantee of that. No, that's it's crazy to me that people don't recognize Butterfly as a milestone album. Not just for Mariah, but for pop music. And, you know, Mariah was here in 96, nominated for six in basically the peak of her career, one zero. She was relegated. See, this is another got, trend of the Grammys. Beyonce got the Mariah treatment from the emancipation yes. era. She was, black artists are ghettoized into this fake urban, urban contemporary, contemporary genre, which is not a genre. It's basically the consolation prize. Frank Ocean got it here. You probably recorded the best album of the year. We're going to give you this black people prize so the white people can enjoy record of the year. Who gives a fuck about you two and that fucking album at this point, 11 years later? Who is listening to that Atomic Bomb album? But uh, two Taylor Swift albums win album of the year. Adele is a step up, definitely. I'm not putting her in the same category. But Beck wins album of the year. Beyonce doesn't win, and you want to say, well, Adele sold the most records out of anybody in this whole decade. Well, Beck sold 300,000 records to Beyonce's double platinum, and you didn't have a problem at that time. Well, this is what Mariah pointed out. She was on some TV show doing some promotion. I don't know. Who can keep a track of what she's promoting? Her her new single, probably. I Mm. don't. And she was asked about Beyonce losing at the Grammys, or what she thought about the Grammys. She's like... I you think I watched that? As my son would say, it's boring. <laughs> and then she went on to unprompted talk about how she thinks the Grammys are pretty much a joke. That she was nominated at the height of her career, having had a song that was number one for pretty much the entire year, One Sweet Day, coming off the back of Always Be My Baby, and Fantasy, and winning zero of six Grammys that year. I was surprised that she didn't go on to mention Emancipation of Mimi because it was pretty much the same thing with We Belong mm-hmm. Together. Right. And so when it suits people, they say, oh, Taylor Swift won because she was the most popular Mm -hmm. and sold the most records. But when Mariah sold the most records, that didn't matter. That's exactly it. They they move the bar for what Mm. the criteria is all the time. Exactly. And uh, we knew heading into this Grammys that the Grammys were shit. When you have Mariah being nominated for like 35, 34 Grammys and only winning five over the course over the course of her career, like this is it's a shit show. It means nothing. No matter how you feel about Mariah and who she is and what she's been, there's no de- denying her talent, her output, the music that she's created, her success, and uh, yeah, and uh, I mean Beyonce is by no means the least 
Grammyed artist. <laughs> like she's won her she fair has share. Tons. She yeah. has tons. But her ratio dwarfs Mariah's. I mean, you don't, don't want to make that comparison, but as you said, it just it just falls into that ghettoized niche category mm-hmm. for the most part. I mean, the show needs black artists to get people watching. They the performances that are creating conversations the next day are Bruno Mars and Beyonce. Like, and I mean. American popular music is founded on black expression. You mean it's not Keith Urban and Carrie Underwood? <laughs> like, what the hell is that? The thing is, like you said, the Grammys are kind of a laughing stock. Like, throughout history, the albums that we now accept as kind of masterpieces as cultural landmarks. There's Pet Sounds, What's Going On by Marvin Gaye, any James Brown album, Purple Rain, lost to another black artist, by the way, Lionel Richie. But yeah, these albums were not recognized. But that doesn't mean that people shouldn't want to be recognized for their work. Should Beyonce say, well, I'm taking my toys and going home. Fuck the Grammys. What What if she wants to be recognized for her work? That's, that is her prerogative, right? But the point is, if Beyonce is ever going to be recognized for album of the year it would have been this time i like a lot of the songs on adele's album much more than you do right i think it's a very good album possibly even great album but it was also very formulaic and in keeping with pretty much everything she's ever done there was nothing groundbreaking about it it was verse chorus bridge glory notes you know like it was it was predictable. Yeah, like, she's not reinventing the wheel. No. It, that can still be good. Yes. But Beyoncé's was well-sung, well-written, well-conceived. It was different. It was culturally reflective of what's going on in America. It was political. It combined so many different facets of greatness, borrowing from so many different fields, that what more do you want? Right. <laughs> And it's in now following her losses at the Grammys and her shattering performance. She was also the victim of this just clickbait garbage from the New York Post, who's run by, which is run by Trump's friends and comrades in arms, the Murdochs. And, you know, it was just this typical bullshit. A picture of Beyonce saying that pregnancy is not a miracle. Basically, like, get over yourself, Beyonce. It's like, fuck you. Just, this is garbage. I didn't even read the article. Why? Why? Like, what about Beyonce's power and success and celebration of her pregnancy is so offensive to you? Is it just to create conversation? Are we just playing into their hands? Well, you know she that bitch when she calls all the conversation. (laughs) Right? And this came out... Uh, in the same week as this other horrible story, think piece, if you want to call it that, there wasn't much thinking involved, by an Irish writer in The Independent about how Serena's soft core swimsuit photos undermine her quest for equality. Imagine. Her quest for equality. For whom? For all women? Uh, yeah, apparently. She has just shot herself in the foot. She can no longer call herself a feminist or fight for any 
political ideals ever again. Was this woman because, white? Yes. Mm, curious. <laughs> I did read this one, and it was garbage. Aside from there being no logical argument whatsoever, the writing was poor. Very poor. Like, why can't I get a job doing this? Is that all it takes? You just have to be pressed? I mean, I'm good at that. It was just, it was too much. It was a chorus of people shouting down famous black women for not living in the way that they want them to be living. And black women are not white women. And white women need to accept that and understand it. Their bodies don't look like yours. Their their hair doesn't look like yours. Their culture is not yours. And so while you're spending your entire life trying to get your own, don't then be coming after the fact now, after you've not gone to bat for black women within your feminist movement for however many decades, mm. to now then try and dictate what black women, successful black women, should do with their bodies, with their hair, with their lives. Understand that there are certain things that you do not understand and don't have access to and are not made for you. Like Serena with that thong disappearing between her butt <laughs> is not meant for a white woman to be like, oh my God, that's amazing. Serena's doing it for herself and that's her body. She's proud of her body. How many times does she have to tell you that she's proud of her body? The body that you all have spent decades tearing down Mm-hmm. And telling her that she's a man, that she looks like a man, that she's an ape, she's a monkey, she's all manner of animal. She finds the sexiness and beauty within herself. And I only imagine that that's taken decades, maybe even a lifetime to get to the point where you can put yourself out on a swimsuit magazine looking like that and feeling, feeling yourself. Mm-hmm. So don't you be coming now to try and take that away from her because you want to then use her as an example of somebody who's not furthering women's rights like fuck that but this is also this is the peril of taking a stand because she's being attacked on the premise that she has fought for women's equality and therefore all of her actions following that have to be in keeping with the sort of feminism that this woman prescribes and so this is you know we don't see think pieces about Maria Sharapova posing in the swimsuit edition, or Caroline Wozniacki, Steffi Graf, Anna Kornikova, any of these people. Why is that? Like, what do they have in common? I'll let you ruminate on that. Not everything is about race, James. (laughs) Please Like Me, a show that I fell in love with, all I can do is recommend it. Yeah, it's so good. Josh? (laughs) Ma, we we were recommended to not do Australian accents anymore. Yeah, because it sounds Kiwi. (laughs) There is a Kiwi character later on in the series. Ella. Yeah. For me, the show, the series started as strictly a comedy. It was very funny. I did find the main character to be a little annoying Mm -hmm. (laughs) and hard to root for. And then I don't really know when it happened, but the show morphed into something very, very substantial and dramatic and my emotional investment in the characters just sort of started piling on the comparison i make between the lead of please like me josh thomas is with lena dunham and he did a much better job of balancing out 
the fact that we're not supposed to necessarily like him with creating some humanity and redemption within him as well. Mm -hmm. Because he's not a likable guy. Well, by and large, but he's not. But he's also someone who cares very much about his family mm -hmm. and his friends and sacrifices things for them. He's not a sociopath. Right. No, but he he does more than can be expected of most people. It's just that the way that he sort of shrugs off people and makes he says out loud with a lot of what a lot of us think inside. <laughs> right. But it makes him sound mean when actually his actions speak quite differently okay you know that's what i think sure and i was kind of mad that this had been out there for so long and i didn't know about it because we do not get queer sitcoms that are well made or even made period right in north america and there's this gem that's been going on in australia for a while and shame on me for not knowing no i had never even heard of the show so i'm it the whole thing is on netflix if you're interested you can also decide which of his boyfriends you find the dreamiest. It's not about dreamiest. It's about who is the best. <laughs> and there's only one answer mm, to that. Okay. So we're going to sign off there. Thank you so much for listening. And please feel free to check us out on our new Instagram, at TheBodySurf. And you can find me on Twitter at ElliotJMR. Jonathan at Sportscribe CA and the podcast, like our Instagram, at the Body Serve. Till next time.